0: book one chapter seven of michael strogoff courier of the czar this librivox recording is in the public domain michael strogoff by jules verne book one chapter seven going down the volga a little before midday the steamboat's bell drew to the wharf on the volga an unusually large concourse of people for not only were those about to embark who had intended to go but the many who were compelled to go contrary to their wishes. The boilers of the Caucasus were under full pressure, a slight smoke issued from its funnel, whilst the end of the escape pipe and the lids of the valves were crowned with white vapor. It is needless to say that the police kept a close watch over the departure of the Caucasus, and showed themselves pitiless to those travelers who did not satisfactorily answer their questions. Numerous Cossacks came and went on the quay, ready to assist the agents, but they had not to interfere, as no one ventured to offer the slightest resistance to their orders. Exactly at the hour the last clang of the bell sounded, the powerful wheels of the steamboat began to beat the water, and the Caucasus passed rapidly between the two towns of which Nizhny Novgorod is composed. Michael Strogoff and the young Livonian had taken passage on board the Caucasus, their embarkation was made without any difficulty as is known the potorozhna drawn up in the name of nicholas korpanov authorized this merchant to be accompanied on his journey to siberia they appeared therefore to be a brother and sister traveling under the protection of the imperial police both seated together at the stern gazed at the receding town so disturbed by the governor's order Michael had as yet said nothing to the girl. He had not even questioned her. He waited until she should speak to him, when that was necessary. She had been anxious to leave the town, in which, but for the providential intervention of this unexpected protector, she would have remained imprisoned. She said nothing, but her looks spoke her thanks. The Volga, the Ra of the ancients, the largest river in all Europe, is almost 3,000 miles in length. Its waters, rather unwholesome in its upper part, are improved at Nizhny Novgorod by those of the Oka, a rapid affluent issuing from the central provinces of Russia. The system of Russian canals and rivers has been justly compared to a gigantic tree whose branches spread over every part of the empire the volga forms the trunk of this tree and it has for roots seventy mouths opening into the caspian sea it is navigable as far as Rief, a town in the government of tver that is along the greater part of its course the steamboats plying between perm and nizhny novgorod rapidly perform the two hundred and fifty miles which separate this town from the town of kasan it is true that these boats have only to descend the volga which adds nearly two miles of current per hour to their own speed but on arriving at the confluence of the kama a little below kasan they are obliged to quit the volga for the smaller river up which they ascend to perm powerful as were her machines the caucasus could not thus after entering the kama make against the current more than ten miles an hour including an hour's stoppage at kasan the voyage from Nizhny novgorod to perm would take from between sixty to sixty-two hours the steamer was very well arranged and the passengers according to their condition or resources occupied three distinct classes on board michael strogoff had taken care to engage two first-class cabins so that his young companion might retire into hers whenever she liked the caucasus was loaded with passengers of every description A number of asiatic traders had thought it best to leave nizhny novgorod immediately in that part of the steamer reserved for the first class might be seen armenians in long robes and a sort of mitre on their heads jews known by their conical caps rich chinese in their traditional costume a very wide blue violet or black robe turks wearing the national turban Hindus, with square caps, and a simple string for a girdle, some of which hold in their hands all the traffic of Central Asia, and lastly Tartars, wearing boots, ornamented with many-colored braid, and the breast a mass of embroidery. All these merchants had been obliged to pile up their numerous bales and chests in the hold and on the deck, and the transport of their baggage would cost them dear, for according to the regulations, each person had only a right to twenty pounds weight in the bows of the caucasus were more numerous groups of passengers not only foreigners but also russians who were not forbidden by the order to go back to their towns in the province there were moujiks with caps on their heads and wearing checked shirts under their wide pelisses peasants of the volga with blue trousers stuffed into their boots rose-colored cotton shirts drawn in by a cord felt caps A few women habited in flowery-patterned cotton dresses, gay-colored aprons, and bright handkerchiefs on their heads. These were principally third-class passengers, who were, happily, not troubled by the prospect of a long-return voyage. The Caucasus passed numerous boats being towed up the stream, carrying all sorts of merchandise to Nizhny Novgorod then passed rafts of wood interminably long and barges loaded to the gunwale and nearly sinking under water a bootless voyage they were making since the fair had been abruptly broken up at its outset the waves caused by the steamer splashed on the banks covered with flocks of wild duck who flew away uttering deafening cries a little farther on the dry fields bordered with willows and aspens were scattered a few cows sheep and herds of pigs fields sown with thin buckwheat and rye stretched away to a background of half-cultivated hills offering no remarkable prospect the pencil of an artist in quest of the picturesque would have found nothing to reproduce in this monotonous landscape the caucasus had been steaming on for almost two hours when the young livonian addressing herself to michael said are you going to yakutsk brother yes sister answered the young man we are going the same way "'Consequently, where I go, you shall go. "'Tomorrow, brother, you shall know why I left the shores of the Baltic "'to go beyond the Ural Mountains.' "'I ask you nothing, sister. "'You shall know all,' replied the girl, with a faint smile. "'A sister should hide nothing from her brother, but I cannot today. "'Fatigue and sorrow have broken me.' "'Will you go and rest in your cabin?' asked Michael Strogoff. "'Yes, yes, and tomorrow. Come, then.' He hesitated to finish his sentence, as if he had wished to end it by the name of his companion, of which he was still ignorant. "'Nadia,' said she, holding out her hand. "'Come, Nadia,' answered Michael, and make what use you like of your brother Nicholas Korpanov, And he led the girl to the cabin engaged for her off the saloon." Michael Strogoff returned on deck, and eager for any news which might bear on his journey, he mingled in the groups of passengers, though without taking any part in the conversation. Should he by any chance be questioned and obliged to reply, he would announce himself as the merchant Nicholas Korpanov, going back to the frontier, for he did not wish it to be suspected that a special permission authorized him to travel to Siberia the foreigners in the steamer could evidently speak of nothing but the occurrences of the day of the order and its consequences these poor people scarcely recovered from the fatigue of a journey across central asia found themselves obliged to return and if they did not give loud vent to their anger and despair it was because they dared not fear mingled with respect restrained them it was possible that inspectors of police charged with watching the passengers had secretly embarked on board the caucasus and it was just as well to keep silence expulsion after all was a good deal preferable to imprisonment in a fortress therefore the men were either silent or spoke with so much caution that it was scarcely possible to get any useful information michael strogoff thus could learn nothing here but if mouths were often shut at his approach for they did not know him his ears were soon struck by the sound of one voice which cared little whether it was heard or not the man with the hearty voice spoke russian but with a french accent and another speaker answered him more reservedly what said the first are you on board this boat too my dear fellow you whom i met at the imperial fete in moscow and just caught a glimpse of at Nizhny Novgorod. yes it's i answered the second dryly really i didn't expect to be so closely followed i am not following you sir i am preceding you proceed proceed let us march abreast keeping step like two soldiers on parade and for the time at least let us agree if you will that one shall not pass the other on the contrary i shall pass you we shall see that when we are at the seat of war but till then why let us be travelling companions later we shall have both time and occasion to be rivals enemies enemies if you like there is a precision in your words my dear fellow particularly agreeable to me one may always know what one has to look for with you what is the harm no harm at all so in my turn i will ask your permission to state our respective situations state away you are going to perm like me like you and probably you will go from perm to ekaterinburg since that is the best and safest route by which to cross the ural mountains probably once past the frontier we shall be in siberia that is to say in the midst of the invasion we shall be there well then and only then will be the time to say each for himself and god for for me for you or by yourself very well but since we have a week of neutral days before us and since it is very certain that news will not shower upon us on the way let us be friends until we become rivals again enemies that's right yes that's right enemies but till then let us act together and not try and ruin each other all the same i promise you to keep to myself all that i can see and i all that i can hear is that agreed it is agreed your hand here it is and the hand of the first speaker that is to say five wide-open fingers vigorously shook the two fingers coolly extended by the other by-the-bye said the first i was able this morning to telegraph the very words of the order to my cousin at seventeen minutes past ten and i sent it to the daily telegraph at thirteen minutes past ten bravo mr blanc very good monsieur jolivet i will try and match that it will be difficult i can try however so saying the french correspondent familiarly saluted the Englishman, who bowed stiffly the governor's proclamation did not concern these two news hunters as they were neither russians nor foreigners of asiatic origin however being urged by the same instinct they had left nijni-novgorod together It was natural that they should take the same means of transport, and that they should follow the same route to the Siberian steppes. Traveling companions, whether enemies or friends, they had a week to pass together before the hunt would be open. And then success to the most expert. Alcide Jolivet had made the first advances, and Harry Blount had accepted them, though he had done so coldly that very day at dinner the frenchmen open as ever and even too loquacious the englishmen still silent and grave were seen hobnobbing at the same table drinking genuine cliquot at six roubles the bottle made from the fresh sap of the birch trees of the country on hearing them chatting away together michael strogoff said to himself those are inquisitive and indiscreet fellows whom i shall probably meet again on the way It will be prudent for me to keep them at a distance. The young Livonian did not come to dinner. She was asleep in her cabin, and Michael did not like to awaken her. It was evening before she reappeared on the deck of the Caucasus. The long twilight imparted a coolness to the atmosphere eagerly enjoyed by the passengers after the stifling heat of the day. As the evening advanced, the greater number never even thought of going into the saloon, stretched on the benches they inhaled with delight the slight breeze caused by the speed of the steamer at this time of year and under this latitude the sky scarcely darkened between sunset and dawn and left the steersman light enough to guide his steamer among the numerous vessels going up or down the volga between eleven and two however the moon being new it was almost dark nearly all the passengers were then asleep on the deck and the silence was disturbed only by the noise of the paddles, striking the water at regular intervals. Anxiety kept Michael Strogoff awake. He walked up and down, but always in the stern of the steamer. Once, however, he happened to pass the engine room. He then found himself in the part reserved for second- and third-class passengers. There, everyone was lying asleep, not only on the benches, but also on the bales, packages, and even the deck itself, some care was necessary not to tread on the sleepers who were lying about everywhere they were chiefly moujiks accustomed to hard couches and quite satisfied with the planks of the deck but no doubt they would all the same have soundly abused the clumsy fellow who roused them with an accidental kick michael strogoff took care therefore not to disturb anyone by going thus to the end of the boat he had no other idea but that of striving against sleep by a rather longer walk he reached the forward deck and was already climbing the forecastle ladder when he heard someone speaking near him he stopped the voices appeared to come from a group of passengers enveloped in cloaks and wraps it was impossible to recognize them in the dark though it sometimes happened that when the steamer's chimney sent forth a plume of ruddy flames the sparks seemed to fall amongst the group as though thousands of spangles had been suddenly illuminated michael was about to step up the ladder when a few words reached his ear uttered in that strange tongue which he had heard during the night at the fair instinctively he stopped to listen protected by the shadow of the forecastle he could not be perceived himself as to seeing the passengers who were talking that was impossible he must confine himself to listening the first words exchanged were of no importance, to him at least, but they allowed him to recognize the voices of the man and woman whom he had heard at Nizhny Novgorod. This, of course, made him redouble his attention. It was indeed not at all impossible that these same Tsiganes, now banished, should be on board the Caucasus. And it was well for him that he listened, for he distinctly heard this question and answer made in the Tartar idiom it is said that a courier has sent out from moscow to ikutsk it is so said zengar but either this courier will arrive too late or he will not arrive at all michael strogoff started involuntarily at this reply which concerned him so directly he tried to see if the man and woman who had just spoken were really those whom he suspected but he could not succeed in a few moments michael strogoff had regained the stern of the vessel without having been perceived and taking a seat by himself, he buried his face in his hands. It might have been supposed that he was asleep. He was not asleep, however, and did not even think of sleeping. He was reflecting, not without a lively apprehension, who is it that knows of my departure, and who can have any interest in knowing it? End of Book 1 Chapter 7